You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. One of the first and most important elements of a great campaign is having invested players. This means that your players care about what is happening in the story and they want to experience the campaign that you have created without a desire to wreck or leave your game. I'm Robert Walker, author of Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. And this is my show where I teach collaborative storytellers how to have more memorable campaigns using psychology. And today, Cyclithids, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of my book, Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. The title of that chapter is Invested Players, and that is going to be our topic for today. But before we go any further, I want to give you full disclosure that my next few episodes are probably going to be a little shorter than you're used to due to the constraints of my day-to-day life. I'm busy with my real-life job traveling around state-to-state opening up a new restaurant, and it's occupying quite a bit of time, as well as my double courses working on my uh, master's degree in uh, IO psychology. So I still want to get this content out to you. I'm going to be referring to some content that I've already written, which is from my book, and giving you some information from that. If you like it, I would encourage you to check out the book and support me in that way. But otherwise, enjoy the rest of this episode. So talking about invested players, individuals have different reasons for deciding to join a role-playing game. And I find that on the psychological level, there's three primary motivations behind a person's decision to play in a role-playing game. And I have decided to call these different motivations different types of players. Now, you might be aware, you might have heard that there's already articles out there and descriptions about different player types or uh, definitions of what players are and how they play the game. My list is a little bit different. It's more about the manner in in which people come to the table, what brings them to the table in the first place. And the reason that they come to the table or that they join a D&D game can have a lot of influence in what causes them to be an invested player. So the first and probably most obvious reason for an individual to join a campaign is that they want to spend time with other people. I call these individuals friend seekers. So they could be choosing to join a game just to spend time with long-standing friends, or they might be going out on a limb trying something new in an effort to make new friends. Whether it's one or the other, their experience and the reason for joining the table is to provide human interaction. So we all need that instinctively on some level. We are social creatures. Uh, In the group that I regularly play with, I've had members say on many occasions that they're just there to hang out with their friends. That's the type of player that they are most likely uh, going to identify with is the friend seeker. They're also very easy to understand and very easy to connect with, since by simply being there with the group, they're already reaping the benefits of what they were seeking by coming to the D&D game. Friend seekers do provide a little bit of a challenge because they might not be as invested in the story as some of the other players. If their motivation is just to hang out with friends, that type of player would either require a very engaging plot, something that would captivate and excite their attention, or they are going to need downtime to allow them to experience their friendships in an out-of-character sort of way. Or, 
An additional idea is that you can provide scenarios in-game where they can be invested in their friendships by having their characters and their friends' characters also be friends in the game so they can sort of role-play out their real-world friendship in the game. I find little tricks that work well for friend seekers is to give them time to experience their friendships by telling jokes or having short breaks where the group can talk about real life or even something like setting up a scheduled time before or after the game to have an opportunity to just sit and talk and hang out. So maybe 30 minutes before or after where the game hasn't started, the group just has the opportunity to sit and chat and those friend seekers will really thrive in that moment. The next uh, type of character or type of individual that would come to a game I call story chasers. Others might choose to join a campaign because they find themselves drawn to experience stories in a unique way. These are the story chasers. Like watching a movie is one thing, but being a hero in that story takes the experience to a whole nother level. Story chasers are like the true role players. They're very easy to engage in a story because the story is their motivation for coming to your table. The primary challenge with them is... If the story doesn't afford them enough attention to their hero or provide them a stimulating plot, they can quickly become disinterested. Another challenge for story chasers would be table size. If you have a small group of role players where their character is going to have the opportunity to be in the spotlight more frequently, they're probably going to be more engaged in that type of story. But if you have a really large table like the one you've heard me talking about, recently in my group that we've had, you know, as many as eight players, each individual player doesn't get as much screen time. So the story chasers in my group have not had as great of an experience as like the, the friend seekers. You'll probably be able to recognize a story chaser because if their character is off screen for too long or they're out of focus for too long, they might be the one that's does something that's uh, sort of off the walls or just interject in a way that immediately shifts the attention back to them, putting them back on screen, so to speak. But the nice thing about them is they're not really trying to derail the game when they do this. It's really just trying to shift focus back to their story, get back to the part of the story that they're most invested in. Challenges um, that the story chaser presents, they can be mitigated pretty easy, honestly. If they have enough screen time for their character, you're not going to run into those challenges very often. But a simple solution, if you do run into that, can be making sure that if one group of party members is taking actions behind the scene and another group is doing something on camera, makes sure the story chaser is part of the group that's in focus. A tool I found especially useful with this type of player when they're off screen is to ask them to write a short description of what their character is doing and either text it to you or write it on a piece of paper and pass it to you because it might be important later. This simple task can keep them on track. It can be focused, keep them focused on their character's actions and continue to feel involved in the story. And it might alleviate that desire to sort of jolt the game back into the focus of their character. 
So a third reason that people might come to the table is that they find role-playing allows them to get away from the stresses of their daily life. I call these players the fugitives. Role-playing lets them experience life in a different world, one that's not filled with monotony, and it allows them a few precious moments to be something greater than their day-to-day life. In my assumption, most fugitives use role-playing as a game of self, as a form of self-therapy, or at the very least, stress relief. I think in some ways they represent one of the most common critiques of role-playing games, which is the idea that people use these games as a method of escapism or escaping from their lives. While this might be the case for some of those, those who take it to an extreme, I believe that in most cases it's a healthy release and it's useful just like taking a small vacation or uh, a brief break from work for a few days. I think it's unfair to critique and say that experiencing a different life than the one you live every day is unhealthy just because it's part of a game. Uh, When it has always been considered to be therapeutic to do so by traveling or to see a different part of the world and experience life in real life the way that different people live. I believe the fugitive does present a particularly difficult complication, which is that if they're they're not going to be satisfied with things that are ordinary. They expect their games to be sensational in a way that their normal life is not. So activities like selling loot in the market or using profession checks to make coins or uh, build tools as as a sort of a craftsman type NPC or helping non-player characters solve a problem. These things are all just going to be reminiscent of their mundane life. They want their characters to experience the grandiose, slaying dragons, toppling governments, changing the world, and wreaking every bit of havoc as possible. Not every fugitive is going to take it to that extreme, but I caution you to be prepared for that possibility, and I've definitely seen it at my own table over the years. I think one key characteristic you can keep an eye out for is that players who almost exclusively choose to play chaotic characters or specifically chaotic neutral characters, they see the chaotic neutral alignment as as an excuse to do whatever they like while still playing their character. This type of player, player can be difficult to get invested in the story of a campaign because rather than being in, invested in the story, they're more interested in their character's ability to provide themselves an outlet to behave in ways they would never behave in real life. So something that I have found helpful in circumstances like this is to gloss over some of the mundane aspects of a story. Selling loot in the market doesn't have to be given very much screen time. Counting uh, arrows or tracking rations, things that they have to do in their normal day-to-day world like providing meals for themselves can all be incredibly mundane feeling and can describe them briefly before moving on to parts of the story that are going to be more interesting to the fugitive. You also might find that some players don't fit into any of these categories that I've outlined. Regardless of what your player's motivations are for coming to the table, communication is the most effective tool to understand what each player needs in order to be invested discussing what that person needs and wants out of a game before the game begins during your session zero. It's going to help you build your campaign with components that check each player's boxes. 
writing story elements that are designed for individual characters while still involving the rest of the party are going to be immensely useful in creating individual immersion and party cohesion, which we've talked about on this show a lot before. Party cohesion is one of the most important things for moving a story forward. Now let's head over to Tricks of the Trade. So for today's Tricks of the Trade, I'm going to give you the action steps from my book that I use for invested characters. There's four of them. They're pretty simple, but I think they are very useful. So the first one is to identify and list what motivations have brought players to your game table. That way you can identify which of these three types of players they most likely are. You can figure this out during your session zero by doing, as I just mentioned before, communicating with them, finding out what it is they want from the game, and you'll get a good sense of it as they start to play their character. Next, you want to understand what potential conflicts player motivations might include. I've already given you a list of what those are in this episode, so as you've identified what the player type they might be, you're going to have an idea of what conflicts might happen in that game and have ideas ready to deal with those conflicts. And if they arise, you're going to have a pretty good idea of how to handle it because I've, again, already shared that with you on this episode. So just jot down a few ideas ahead of time when you've identified what type of player they are, how you're going to manage that conflict if it arises. What specifically are they looking for in the game? What did they communicate with you? If they're looking for a sense of the sensational and you have a whole session that's very mundane, they start causing problems, you know you need to give them something unique and sensational to get them back on track, to get them reinvested. And finally, write your story after taking all of these considerations into account. If your story is pre-written, if you're using a module or an adventure path, then adapt it. If it's if it's based only on, you know, combat and you have a whole group of people who are story chasers, you need to add some depth and some role play and some real story elements to it so that they're going to be invested. Otherwise, they're not going to be really interested in that pre-written adventure. All right, that's it for Tricks of the Trade. Let's take a look at our knowledge check. For today's knowledge check, I am looking at a article that came from DM's Table website uh, from the a DM and his son blog. And this uh, article is called How to Promote Player Investment, which fits very well with what we're talking about today. And in this, they give you three major things that they believe will help increase player investment in a story. So let's just talk about what those three things are that they have listed. Their first one is cause and effect. Cause and effect is a human interest. It's the root of our curiosity, the ingredient to any interesting campaign world. Your actions need to have consequences and the things that you do need to follow a sequential order. Each each effect has a cause, each cause has an effect. And if you make those realistic, then it is going to create more investment and immersion into the story. Next, give your players the opportunity to change the world. This is something I absolutely agree with. This is something I have always advocated for. I want my characters, maybe not in session one, maybe not at level one, but as they become more powerful, the lever that they have over the 
direction of the world and the direction of the story needs to become more powerful, right? It's like the old, uh, it's like the old saying, give me a long enough lever and I can move the world. That is exactly what it is. As your characters become powerful enough and their lever of influence grows long enough, let them move the world, let them change the world. And then the last one, Again, something I very much agree with is make the villains bad and the things they do worse. I very much agree with that. I will add one caveat. I also like to make the things that they do be understandable. As terrible as they are, if it is realistically understandable that they have acted the way that they do, people are going to be not only invested in that story, they're also going to be very interested and they're going to have that sort of moral dilemma, which I really like to have at my table because I like I like you to have to think about it. Not only what would your character do, but I like players to leave the table and think, what would I do in this scenario? That's all for today, Cyclothids. Next week will likely be a shorter episode as well. Again, maybe focusing on another chapter of my book. And if you found this topic interesting today, I would encourage you to head to Amazon and check out the book. Until next time, I will see you next session.